Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Digital Reformation of the Church. This is episode 93 of En Route. Welcome to En Route, the podcast that is at the intersection of Church and Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Welcome. So I have been involved in some way in um, communications probably for about 20 years or so. Um, I had a came out of um, Michigan State with a journalism degree and over the years have used that. Um, currently when I'm not, um, a pastor at a part-time pastor at a church, I'm also, um, a part-time communications manager at a Lutheran congregation in the Twin Cities suburbs. And I've been involved in some way in church communications, probably now for about 15 years, um, and done pretty much a lot of everything, um, graphic design, uh, website maintenance, um, social media, all of that has been things that I have done, including creating things like this podcast. It was about maybe a, around the time that I started, around 2008, that there was kind of a craze going on, especially in churches, um, and, and especially in mainline Protestant circles, we kind of all discovered social media and, and we were kind of all excited because this was a new thing, a new frontier. And I think, I don't know how many times I was, I had um, went to talks where you would hear that everyone had to get on social media. Every congregation had to be on social, social media, they had to be on Twitter. They had to be on Facebook. MySpace by that time was already going away. So, you know, that, that was another thing. Um, they had to have a good website. And um, that kind of enthusiasm for social media really continued into the, um, into the teens, um, and that kept going really until around 2016. Um, and of course, that was the election of 2016, um, which um, gave us Donald Trump. And I think after that, there's always been this belief that um, it was social media platforms like Facebook that tilted the presidential election in favor of Trump. And so all of a sudden, social media was not so glamorous. It wasn't so great anymore. And then there were other issues that people started to think um, were, were worried um, and, and maybe put um, that they saw that social media could harm people. Um, some are seeing that things like Instagram um, were harmful to young girls. And it just seems like everyone at, for a while wanted to blame social media for everything. Um, if there was a mass shooting, social media was blamed. Um, if there was somehow any type of event, or even very much recently when we've been talking about uh, COVID misinformation, blame social media. But something happened 
about two years ago that may have changed things. Not back to the crazy days of 2008, but they've changed things. And of course, what happened in March of 2020 was when the world basically shut down. COVID kept millions of people from going to church and um, I and many other pastors had to learn overnight how to become a producer, how to live stream or to record a worship service initially on our iPhones and then up to other equipment. That has changed the church, probably permanently. And now we're trying to figure out how to do church in this era where it seems like technology, social media, isn't going away. It's still a tool and a very effective tool for church. So how do we use this? So this, this tool, can we use it for good? What limits should we put on it? How does something like online worship um, help the wider church? And how do we use things like Facebook and Instagram in creative ways um, that can actually share the good news of, of Jesus both near and far? So in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Ryan Panzer. Um, he is a learning and leadership development professional. He's been involved in the technology um, industry, but he's also been involved in the church. And he is fascinated about technology for ministry. Um, he has written actually uh, two books that deal with the intersection of faith and technology. The first one, uh, Grace and Gigabytes, Being a Church in a Tech-Shaped Culture, uh, came out in uh, 2020. And coming this fall is The Holy and the Hybrid, Navigating the Church's Digital Reformation. So, uh, in our talk, we kind of talk about what's the good of social media, what's the bad, um, and how churches can move towards this hybrid model of ministry and use these tools like social media really for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So let's listen to this interview with Ryan Panzer. to join us here uh, this morning. Yeah, thanks so much for the invitation, Dennis. You're welcome. Um, well, I uh, have been looking at some of your upcoming book that's coming out in um, September, um, Hybrid Church, and you bring up a lot of interesting viewpoints concerning really what the church had to deal with, and you focus a lot, especially in March of 2020. Of and most people by now know what that um, the significance of that date because that was really the time that we kind of everyone kind of was locked down and churches stopped worshiping um, and people kind of had to learn on the fly. Um, what do you think that in, in your experiences, maybe talking with other churches, how do you think churches have been able to? adapt to this changing, especially to that immediate change? And then how are they adapting now post-pandemic? Have they gone back to their old ways or are they changed or have, have they just been totally changed? Yeah, sure. Well, when you think about the the ways things changed starting on Sunday, March 15th, 2020, uh, it was really a rapid lurch towards online forms of, of, of church community. And uh, in most states, churches had all of three days to reinvent the way they had been practicing uh, worship and, and uh, gathering as a community for, for, for decades. So mm -hmm. it was really quite abrupt. And, and I think what's remarkable about Christian communities is that they pivoted faster than any other type of organization 
organization. I mean, most, if you look at for-profit companies, if you look at nonprofits, it took months for them to reinvent themselves in this uh, digitally distributed space we found ourselves in. Now, when you fast forward two years later to a time where maybe the pandemic's kind of on the back burner of our of our cultural landscape, I'm finding that you know, is it, with church leaders, there's uh, kind of three thoughts that that uh, you're starting to hear a lot of. You know, one of those thoughts is uh, lament and grief. Uh, mm-hmm. Our membership is down. Our attendance is down. People haven't come back to the the sanctuary, and uh, they're not worshiping in person. And that's that's really widespread and and common. I think the, uh, to accompany that, there's also a sense of uh, it's almost a sense of anxiety that, you know, we're, we've been doing digital, but we're not maybe doing it well enough. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's almost this guilt that, you know, we should be doing this better or, or faster, or we should have a more polished production quality to, uh, the way that we're, that, the way that we're creating church community. But, and then the, the third, the third one is there's this sense of, of hopeful optimism that despite the fact that people haven't come back to the sanctuary in person, despite the fact that it feels like there's so much more we could doing, we could be doing, uh, there's also this sense of, uh, you know, I'm willing to kind of continue learning my way through this. At least that's the sense I've gotten in, in some of my conversations. So it's an interesting mix of, uh, of, 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 of grief, of disappointment, of also some, interest in continuing the conversation. So I wrote this book to kind of dwell with in this moment where we're trying to figure out our way through this new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in part, the book is meant to uh, assure church leaders that first of all, it's okay to feel some sense of, of loss or grief at those who haven't returned to in-person worship. It's okay not to have the most polished worship live stream on the internet. And this is truly a years-long learning process that we're all engaged with together and uh, to hopefully start some conversations across church communities in discovering what all of this might mean for us. When it comes to digital church, and and I think sometimes we've used this analogy a lot, but I don't know if we've really delved into it, but is it as transformational or as kind of... um, as maybe thinking of the the printing press, um, which came around at the same time of the Reformation, um, which made it a lot easier for people to read the Bible in a way that they hadn't before. Um, Do you see digital church in that way, that it's it's that kind of disruption um, that can really change the church maybe for the next several, um, maybe not centuries, but decades down the road? Well, I think it will be centuries. Yeah, I do see. I see digital technology as a uh, magnitude of cultural change that's on the same scale as the printing press, perhaps if 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 not even more. Now, what that means for for church community is really quite profound. Uh, I think one of the changes we're we're still wrestling with, and there's no easy answer to this. But what does it mean to be a community that it's both centralized and distributed, you know, local and virtual? Uh, I don't think there are too many ministries that want to be entirely virtual. In fact, in the book, I write about why uh, that might not be um, uh, appealing to the future of, of, of Christian community. So in, in the sense of this massive disruption of the place or the placefulness of, of church community, certainly this is a, 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 an, an enormous change. Now, uh, will it have the same impact on uh, you know, the way people are able to access um, Christian practices, the life of faith, um, you know, how someone comes to faith, these still uh, remain to be seen. And it's hard to know these things within the moment. But what I think what we're seeing is that uh, individuals are changing what they expect within an experience of church community. They're expecting the opportunity for it to be a bit more accessible than it's been in the past, uh, to be a bit more conversational than than it's been in, in 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 the past, and to kind of meet them where they are at. So while there's still so much to be discovered and studied in in with regard to that question, I certainly think we're dealing with a paradigm shift 
uh, that's going to take years for us to really discover the full contours of. Now, I mean, I think one of the things that um, has been interesting, especially as of late, and of course, when we talk about digital ministry, and it's much more than social media, but that is actually part of it, um, has been all the the problems that people um, at least think or appear to think social media has caused. Um, But we also know there's also positives of that. But how do we kind of handle that type of the problem, the the issue of social media with with all of its good and bad, and how can the church use it to further ministry, um, knowing its weaknesses and also its strengths? Yeah, social media is a a great topic of conversation and everyone has so many thoughts and and reactions uh, to everything that's happening with with social media. And as we speak, Elon Musk is in the process of acquiring Twitter and uh, he's promised to to make it a a platform for free speech. You know, who, who knows what that means or what effects that is going to have on our on our society. I think when it comes to social media in the church, we have to be cognizant of a couple of things. One, social media is not the entire breadth of the web. You know, social media is is a corner of the internet. Uh, Twitter, for example, is just a small fraction of the web's total users. And the people that actually post to Twitter are just a a, a very small fraction of that. So uh, we have to remember that, that social media is a tool, but it is not the only tool that the web makes available to us. So when when uh, a church leader comes to me and says, I don't know that our community should be on social media or we're not getting much traction on social media, you know, part of the answer to that question might be, well, maybe you don't need to be doing social media. Um, podcasts are no, not social media. YouTube is not a social media platform. Vimeo is not a social media platform. So there's good questions to ask about like, why do we find ourselves drawn to social media right away is the first thing we tend to think about when we, when we think about the web. But then when we think about if a church is going to use social media, what do they really use it for? And while it's true, social media has some pretty glaring issues that have come to light, especially since January 6th, 2021. uh, It's still one of the best places to gather folks for conversations and so while the platform may have some challenges, I think Facebook groups present one of the more interesting uh, uses of technology that, that some congregations haven't explored. Uh, just to help con- con- congregants and community members uh, gather for shared dialogue and conversation Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is uh, the opportunity that social media presents not to replace the church on Sunday morning, but to gather the church as one uh, to kind of work out what one's life of faith looks like as they're living in their day-to-day vocations. Uh, now that takes a lot of work. It takes intentionality to cultivate those conversations, to moderate them, uh, to, to provide resources that folks can respond to. Uh, but social media can be a, uh, an effective site where ministry conversations do take place. Uh, there's an author named Nona Jones who's written a book about uh, moving from social media to social ministry that has mm. been helpful to, to a lot of pastors. But then to go back to the question of, you know, what do we make of the hate speech? What do we make of the misinformation, the trolling, uh, the issues that uh, that we see that are just running abundant through um, social media and hopefully won't get worse as, as Twitter prepares to be acquired by Elon Musk? And I think the answer to that is, you know, the web is truly what we make of it. And we could say we need to make a strategic retreat from social media because it's not a godly place at all times. And this isn't where the church should be. And that would be one way to respond. But I also think there's something to be said for having more pastoral voices on social media who are intentional about having their, uh, their, their voice be heard. Um, to, to model what it's like to be Christ-like in these, in these spaces. Uh, there's a, there's a pastor I follow um, on Instagram. Her, her name is uh, Jess Cast and she's a, uh, a minister in state college, Pennsylvania. And I think she's done an excellent job of modeling what it looks like to be pastoral in digital spaces. So whether you feel your church community is called to be on social media or not, uh, the, the question is, what is what does pastoral presence in, in these spaces look like in all digital spaces? 
And perhaps that's a question we can continue to engage, uh, you know, well after the Elon Musks of the world have bought up all the social media companies they can, uh, because digital technology is not going away. Mm-hmm. And presenting pastorally in those spaces is going to be a, a necessary vocation into the into the future. When you mentioned some an example or of being a pastoral presence, what are some examples of how people are doing that on on social media of going beyond just kind of posting an event or something, but actually being a presence? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I, one thing that you'll see consistently in the truly pastoral spaces I find on social media, there aren't, there aren't necessarily tons and tons of these, but there are certainly some. Uh, one is um, from Kate Bowler. She's a author of a recent best-selling book and also uh, a professor at Duke Divinity School. And she simply posts these blessings and prayers to her social media accounts uh, that name allowed the the struggles, the longings, and losses of her followers and her online community. Uh, Nadia Bowles Weber um, has done something similar on her social media channels. Uh, so, actually, living out and posting the practices that are core to uh, Christian community—prayer, blessing, um, even even short services of of the word of worship—can be uh, can be done online. Uh, I think another arm of that too that's important is is knowing when to disconnect and being being spiritually wise with how you spend your time on social media. Uh, that's uh, there was research done by Kyle Oliver in Virginia Theological Seminary. Um, it's made its way into a resource called the Digital Literacy Toolkit. You can find it on on, on the web. And uh, what that toolkit does is it provides a number of resources and practices for to guide church leaders through navigating this digital landscape. And one of the practices it describes is uh, having a digital rule of life, uh, of being really wise with where and how you spend your time and knowing when you need to step away and disconnect. Uh, many of those I, I talk with who uh, have uh, dynamic digital communities that, that are uh, connected to their church uh, are individuals who take a week, uh, take one a week off of the web completely. So really knowing where your boundaries need to be and, and staying true to those boundaries is uh, especially important today. Hmm. One of the things that I remember um, maybe about 10 or 15 years ago is especially within mainline churches is kind of this, this is when I think social media and digital ministry were new. And so there were lots of people kind of talking about, you know, we should all be on Facebook or we need to be on Twitter and doing all this. And I think that that was really great, but it seems like there was never really any, after that, it's kind of like, okay, now what? Um, You know, we kind of were selling this because it was new, um, but we didn't really at least at that point, I think we were so excited that we didn't really think about what is this for? And it sounds like we're now moving into a a new period where we're actually saying, what do we do with this instead of just that we need to be there? I mean, we do need to be there, but it seems like we have to figure out then why are we there? What do we do while we're there? I think you said something really important there, which is why are we there? And mm-hmm. if if you haven't had a conversation yet with your council or church board about, you know, what is the purpose of digital or hybrid for us? Uh, you know, now is the time to be having those uh, those conversations. Most likely, social media for you isn't going to be a growth strategy. It's it's unlikely to help. It's unlikely to drive more people to your church. But what it can do really well is cultivate conversations or at least share content that's pertinent to the life of the community in those moments that happen uh, outside of, of Sunday morning. And so a model that some churches have adopted is, uh, you know, we'll have a worship service on Sunday and, and maybe we'll live stream it. And then Monday through Saturday, we're going to kind of build off some of the themes from the upcoming Sunday. Uh, we're going to share the, the the scripture readings ahead of time and include a brief devotion. Uh, we're going to have a, a guided uh, Lectio Divina practice on, on Wednesday, and we're going to post that. Uh, we'll do a, a, a podcast on um, 
you know, kind of previewing the themes of, of, of that sermon from the following, from the upcoming Sunday, we'll post that on Friday. So, so there's an interesting uh, application of social media is uh, I would use the word augmenting the word that's being heard on Sunday uh, so that it continues to lift up uh, the community th- throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Which then would mean it's a lot more of an intentionality than um, just kind of doing things on the fly. Yeah, exactly. And it's also a lot different than let me post the times, dates, and locations of everything within within the church. I mean, there is a place for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, communications is one important function of social media. But I think if we continue to use social media just as a digital bulletin board, uh, we're missing out on the, uh, the the true networked relationality that can happen with within these spaces. So when you t- kind of talk about digital church, obviously it's also, as you're saying, it's more than just social media. Um, and you kind of have briefly gone into that. It's almost like, you know, podcasting or um, YouTube. Um, what other examples would you include in digital ministry? So I think you you have uh, you have to draw a line between uh, conversations that broadcast versus conversation or sorry platforms that broadcast versus platforms that uh, connect and create space for collaboration, mm-hmm. and I think churches probably need a mix of of both. And so for the the, the technologies that are used to broadcast, and you're looking at how can we get Sunday morning uh, to the phones and tablets and computer screens. Of, of those who are seeking to access that, that, that experience of worship, um, you know, that that's where you find your YouTubes, your, um, your Vimeos, those types of platforms most useful. The growth edge for most ministries though, on doing the broadcast side of things better, you know, it, it, there's only so much to be gained from adding a soundboard or maybe another media tech to your church staff. I think the question is what do we gain from uh, utilizing more collaborative technologies uh, to uh, curate and facilitate more conversations throughout the entire week. So I, I mentioned Facebook groups earlier, and, and Facebook groups is a, a, a platform that I think is less utilized than it should be. One of the things I really like about Facebook groups is that these are private conversations to the group. They don't appear publicly as a comment on a public Facebook page would, would appear. Uh, other platforms that don't tend to be used as much, at least in ministry contexts, include tools like Slack and Discord. Mm-hmm. If you've never heard of those, they're, they're basically fancy applications for um, cultivating chat conversations across groups. Uh, Discord is free. Slack is a uh, paid application, but they both do the same thing. You could say, you know, we have this group, we have our church council, or we have our men's group, and we want to bring them together for conversations uh, when and where they're going to happen. So you bring them together in the same Discord or Slack channel, as, the, as it's called, and it, it creates a forum for those conversations. Now, if your head's starting to spin with you know terms like Slack and Discord, I, I also like to remind church leaders that texting and group texting are just as effective when it comes to collaboration. Uh, having a WhatsApp or uh, even if you're working with, uh, uh, with with youth, a lot of churches I know have used uh, the app called uh, Remind. Uh, these are excellent ways to just stay in contact and conversation uh, with your community. Mm. So back in, I believe it was January, um, Tish uh, Warren Harrison wrote an interesting um, column in the New York Times. And her belief was that we need to actually, churches that went online um, during the pandemic need to basically stop that. Um, To say that it generated a bit of controversy is an understatement, Um, but she did come back, I mean, she did um, go back on and kind of talk about that. Um, I'm kind of curious where you, what you thought about her column um, what was what were some good points of it? What were some things that you didn't agree with? Well, one thing I really agreed with was uh, the fact that she named uh, the disappointment and the loss that we felt uh, when we looked around the pews on Sunday morning and realized we were at a third or less of our pre-pandemic attendance. And uh, I, I think that 
just naming that there is this sense of loss within this transition is, is important. You know, we can't just fast forward to a state of doing church entirely online because we do lose something. And it's important to, to recognize that as part of this massive transition we're all making together. You know, uh, one of the, I think one of the things that she argues in, in that piece is that, uh, we, we, we lose something of the, the sacramental nature of Christian community when we're gathered online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the feeling of, of knees against uh, kneeling boards or hands clasped during uh, the Lord's Prayer, whatever those, whatever those real embodied practices are. And to me, I think this speaks to the reason why the optimal model for most church communities is some kind of a hybrid where we don't lose sight of the importance of, of face-to-face interaction. Uh, that's why uh, I see digital, especially when it comes to, to, to worship, as an important way to reach out and to be invitational so that those who want to get an experience of what it's like to gather in your worshiping community, but they also want to remain safely anonymous for a week or two, you know, have, have that flexibility. So it's a really, you know, responding to that piece, it's important to think, not how we just turn ourselves off of digital, but how do we turn digital into in-person community? Not everyone who comes to you on YouTube is eventually going to walk into your door, but but some are. And so that's why it's a useful exercise to be thinking about what does hospitality look like uh, online? How can we acknowledge and lift up and welcome those who have joined us online, knowing that if we do this well, they're all the more likely to join us face-to-face one day. And do you see, uh, as some people would say, digital ministry or social media as kind of the front door into um, our faith communities? Yeah, well, I I would suggest that it's perhaps not just social media, but I think it's worship specifically. Uh, However, we're doing worship online, YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, it's all Zoom, you know, it's all, it's all great. Uh, when we look five years ahead, I think this will be the first uh, real touch point between the life of the church and those who are exploring new church communities. And uh, just as we went to great lengths to create uh, the the volunteer roles of greeters and all the welcome signage and the maps to help you navigate the building, uh, I think we would do well to think about what that looks like online as, as well. Mm-hmm. So thinking kind of about the, the future, and especially as we are moving forward, I think one of the things that was interesting in, in the book, um, in your upcoming book, was the notion of strong and weak ties um, and the importance of weak ties. Um, and also the irony of when we hear the word weak, we tend to think that it's not something that's important, but as you have remind remind in the book that it it is of something of value where do you see digital ministry helping to build those weak ties and it might help to um first just to explain what do you mean by a weak tie yeah of course so the the distinction between a strong and a weak tie is something sociologists have looked at Uh, a strong tie is a close friend or a a family member it's a spouse it's a parent it's a, a a next door neighbor it's somebody who you see and interact with on a regular basis and have a really a, a deep level of care for a weak tie might be a, a coworker a fellow church member somebody you volunteer with it's somebody you say hi to when you see them at the grocery store and are really excited to see them but maybe they're not coming over for uh, for christmas or, or or thanksgiving in in, in the united states and what sociologists have found is that uh, there is a, is a there's a strong amount of what they refer to as social capital that's built up within our network of weak ties. Now, what that really means is it's our connections that we're kind of somewhat close to, but not always that close to, who uh, open up new doors for us to uh, to, to volunteer, uh, to be in service one, with one another, uh, even to do things like find a new job, start a new organization, or build a new business. So uh, there's all kinds of interesting things to be said about weak ties and their importance. Adam Grant has written a lot about uh, about this topic lately, and this is one of the uh, tools that the web gives us. Um, 
the network structure of the web where people join you for occasional conversations uh, is a structure that is conducive to this model of, of weak ties. As I talk about in the book, really it's a hybrid structure of online and offline church that's most conducive to building these networks. Uh, but if we're get to get to the point where uh, churches are truly extending a, a wide-reaching invitation to the life of Christian community and in turn equipping people for lives of faithful discipleship, uh, then it's that combination of online and offline that's best suited to do just that. And I think one of the things also is when you have something where it's kind of forming those weak ties, how then do you get them to move from online to offline to maybe from engaging you kind of like we are to coming in and, you know, joining the community in some way, going on a, a mission opportunity or something like that. You know, how do, I guess the question is, how do you move between these two spaces? Yeah. Well, I think the first rule of that is to not, rush anybody and to uh the the more somebody feels pressured to join in person perhaps the less likely they are to do it so this is this uh uh almost paradox we find ourselves in where we want to be hospitable and welcoming but but not pushy and and so that that's that's a def, that's a delicate balance to manage i would start by thinking about what are the ways we can use inclusive language to make sure that those who are joining us online really feel like they're a part of a worship service that is shared and unified and not uh, just happening in person and they happen to be watching from the you know comforts of their own home or something like that. So so start by making sure that there's an acknowledgement of those gathered online during the welcome. Uh, see if there's a way to uh, pray for the concerns of those gathered online during uh, shared prayers or prayers of the people that might happen during worship. Uh, perhaps have the pastor or preacher look into the camera a time or two during the, the sermon uh, so it's clear that they're speaking to those who are, who are gathered online. And that's the easiest level uh, of, of things or tactics to accomplish. Um, it's also perhaps the level that's most frequently ignored by, uh, by, by church leaders. Now, I, the, the other question, like, what can we do to, to move this process along? Well, uh, having a um, having a way for somebody to get in contact with a pastor can can be helpful. Uh, if you have prayer concerns, if you want to respond to the sermon, if you'd like to discuss something that moved you from the surface, what's an easy way to 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 get in contact? Uh, if you want to find more about the church itself, uh, where's the best place to do that? I think if you can name those things or at least have them in some kind of uh, printed on screen form, that really helps to just give people that next step if they if and when they're, they're they feel ready to take it. Uh, just one really quick tactic that you might look at is what's the domain name your your church is currently using? Uh, if if your church's uh, domain name is uh, our saviors Osceola org. I don't know if really, there's really a, our saviors in Osceola, Wisconsin, but maybe there is. Then uh, the chances that somebody figures out how to type that domain name perfectly into their browser is low. So, so maybe looking at condensing that and making it a bit more snappy and memorable could, could help. Um, and you kind of said something earlier about um, WhatsApp and um, it's not one that I've used, but I'm, I'm wondering is that also because you've talked about prayers and I think especially prayers of the people um, when people are watching is, is important. And it's not unusual for me when I lift someone up um, and we have people who can't be in person um, will actually text me during uh, that time, um, which is kind of fascinating to, to see that. But is that can WhatsApp be a way of also people engaging in some way that they can send prayer requests or um, kind of communicate during the worship service. So it's not just kind of them just watching, but engaging. It certainly can be. And that's one of the nice things about WhatsApp is it allows you to uh, connect a lot of people into a, a shared group chat. 
It's also in, encrypted, which means uh, nobody's going to run advertisements on based on what they see in the conversation. It's in that way, it's different from um, you know a public Facebook poster or, or something of that nature. So uh, there's a lot of great things to be said uh, for 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 using WhatsApp. I mean, it is owned by Meta Technologies. It's part of it's part of Mark Zuckerberg's domain. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. But for specifically lifting up loud prayer requests, uh, to naming them within the scope of the church community, I think a WhatsApp group or a Facebook group can go a, a long way to making some, some of that happen. And so kind of a question I have also is about pastors. Um, when we go through, as, as I did go through seminary, and this was in the late 90s, early aughts, you know, you pretty much went through and you studied the Bible, you went through Greek, um, kind of now going into digital ministry, it's almost like you have to kind of learn a different, I don't want to say a different form or, or, or learn all anew, but there is something different about this form of, of ministry that it's not simply... I think as it was, as we may have thought it was 10 or 15 years ago, that all you have to do is just be on it. Um, but there is a certain way. How should pastors prepare or learn how to be more effective or even just for the first time be on um, online and be able to do their ministry effectively? Yeah, the, the first way is just to be a curious uh, observer of what you're seeing within other church communities. One of the best resources I've had for for learning about how to do church online has been uh, the Facebook groups that are created for uh, uh, worship live streaming help and for church media and sound text. There, there's a whole number of, of these groups where people go to post their, their questions and ideas. And uh, those are some of the best learning spaces for, for me personally. Uh, being a, a, a a student of, of this topic is uh, something that really takes a lifetime. And by, by the time something makes it into a, a seminary curriculum, uh, well, it's probably teaching on uh, some bygone software that may not be used by anybody uh, anymore. Uh, so uh, find a place that, that teaches these things uh, kind of in the moment that they're, they're happening. Uh, I mentioned Virginia Theological Seminary is a place that does this well. Uh, Luther Seminary's Faith Lead Network is is a, a place that does this really well. Um, the Conver uh, Convergence Network, uh, which is uh, one of uh, Jim Keats' projects, does this really well. Um, having just a place you can consistently go to for uh, courses and conferences and conversations uh, is, is another really helpful tool uh, because if you have a stack of seminary textbooks on the shelf, even if you, you know, like me, you graduated uh, three or four years ago, chances are those, those textbooks have since become outdated. Mm -hmm. uh, finally, also remembering that this is a process of adaptive and not technical change. Uh, remembering that digital ministry is a response to the ways in which the spirit gathers us in community, uh, that the, uh, the way we do digital ministry should reflect our mission and vision. And uh, knowing that we don't use technology for the sake of technology itself uh, can be wise practices of, 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 of pastoral leadership specifically. What do you think that the um, church has learned from the pandemic um, when we basically were forced to just do most of our ministry online? Do you think that we came away learning something um, from that? Um, and how do you think that it, it will affect um, communities 10, 20, 30 years from now? I, I think the, uh, the idea of placefulness is something that we are still in the process of learning, that we can make our gatherings of, of church community more accessible and more inclusive by extending them digitally, but that can't be our only means of, of gathering. So just as we've learned that digital can be a useful way to extend an invitation. We've also learned that it has uh, quite a few limitations as well. A few weeks ago here in Madison, it was a, a beautiful Easter Sunday that the church was quite full. It was the first time I'd seen 
a lot of uh, the folks at, at my congregation in two years, and it was just you know, such a wonderful uh, occasion to to be back together. So uh, it's also taught us that that presence in the neighborhood and the face to face time with one another is one that you know we really ought not to ignore. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that um, I'm still kind of trying to figure out or, or learn in this time period is, as you said, some of the other um, uses of technology. Um, one, of course, that we used a lot was Zoom, um, which a lot of people had not heard of um, before March of 2020. Now it seems like everyone has. Um, and we've used you know different things, and I think you've also mentioned um, Slack and Discord. Um, I guess the question is, how can pastors, how can uh, lay people, kind of learn from one another how to use these tools effectively? Um, because in a lot of ways, we have all these wonderful tools, and I think we're all kind of kind of stumbling to figure them out. The first thought I have is if you have a tool that you've stumbled your way through and, you know, it's really working for your community, document it, write it down, create a blog post. Uh, if you don't have a blog, put it on Medium or uh, share it on on, on Facebook. Uh, that's really the way we're going to learn this together is by documenting uh, not just our successes, but also what we stumbled our way through and, and what didn't work for us. There's quite a few blogs that uh, that are out there on the topic of, of digital ministry. Uh, I, I mentioned Luther Seminary's Faith Lead resource that they have uh, quite a good one where they they do a regular series on the topic of of ministry and tech. So finding a place where there is some some level of of regular content that you can go back to and uh, be a curious learner on on this subject, uh, but but really that the church's ability to learn and thrive in this moment is going to depend on our willingness to share our experiences uh, as an adaptive change. Uh, there are no easy, you know, simple answers to this. And we need not just to hear about the congregation that tripled their attendance and quadrupled their giving or whatever. We need to hear about the pastor that uh, invested $40,000 in upgrading their uh, AV equipment and then couldn't get the worship live stream to work the, the following Sunday. Those are the stories that perhaps we need to hear more than uh, more than the, 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 the uh, complete successes. And I think that that's important because um, if you have ventured out into digital ministry, there are always, I mean, I can tell you many experiences of worship that did not happen or didn't work out. Um, and it seems like that's important to know about the failures as much as it is the um, the success. In fact, I think more important to hear the failures and success stories. If somebody starts a ministry mistakes blog, I'll be sure to follow it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be joining that one too. <laughs> so. I think, you know, one of the things that we also maybe not think about as much these days are the importance of websites. And then I think we know that, but how do you think that churches have changed their use of websites since the pandemic? Um, Because it seems like we have to use them in different ways than we once did. Sure. Well, the, the, most important thing about your website right now in, in this moment we're currently navigating is, does it lead to easy access of, of the worship service? And uh, can you access worship with, you know, one, one click or, or less? And uh, I think I've used the analogy at, the, at times that the, the church website used to be your billboard, but now it's your sanctuary. So making mm. sure it's easy to access that, that experience of worship with as few clicks as, as possible. Uh, now, um, I would actually suggest that a lot that's taking place within the website itself isn't all that different. You know, your website still is a communications tool. So having the times and dates and locations and Zoom links of of everything that's happening within your church community, that hasn't changed. Uh, But going back to the, the collaborative piece I mentioned, maybe the growth edge here has been learning that a frequently updated website with 
original content sourced from across the community is a powerful and useful way to manage a church website. Uh, having a blog, if you haven't had a church blog before, um, having uh, members of the church and not just the pastor's blog, um, using different types of, of expression. So it's not just written blogs, but, you know, uh, digital artwork or recordings or, 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 or music. Uh, one of the best parts of a website is it's truly a blank canvas that you can do what you want with. And uh, perhaps uh, if we've learned anything about our website in these last two years, it's that we have more pages of canvas available to us than we realized previously. Mm -hmm. And where do you think that, especially where it comes to mainline churches, as opposed to evangelical churches, I think that the thing that we always, I don't know if it has kind of become a cliche is that um, evangelicals have really taken on to technology a lot sooner than we did. Um, yeah. Has, do you think that, that that has evened itself out or you know, are we still trying to figure some things? Are there some things that we do better than others? And it's not to try to denigrate evangelicals, but I'm just always curious. Well, it's, it's not a cliche. In fact, it's backed up by scores of data that evangelical churches were the first to utilize the airwaves of radio and television. Uh, they were the first to do church online. Joel Osteen had 15 million worshipers every Sunday on his YouTube page long before the pandemic ever started. So uh, there's very real data that bears that out. And when you look at uh, you know surveys of, of the pre-pandemic landscape, uh, evangelicals far outnumbered, evangelical churches far outnumbered mainline churches in website usage, in social media usage, and also the percentage of churches that uh, had a Wi-Fi connection. So uh, very much something that's supported by the data. But when you look at, uh, the, here's the challenge for uh, your typical small uh, mainline Protestant church is that you don't have the media resources that Joel Osteen has, uh, and you don't have the media resources of the mega church, the trendy mega church on the other side of town. You may just have yourself and your administrative assistant and a couple of dedicated volunteers. Mm -hmm. So if there's something to be gained or something to be learned from, from this, it's to not let uh, comparison get you down and specifically to not let upward comparison of, of digital content quality, uh, you know, uh, wear you down. I wrote a blog post a few months ago about how small churches perhaps have an advantage with some of this digital church stuff um, because they're able to be more collaborative and more authentic. It's easier to lift up voices when you don't have to broadcast to 15 million people. And that can be a tremendous gift. So uh, relationality and authenticity are where, our where we ought to train our focus and not on uh, creating a sermon video that's going to uh, rival what Rick Warren is getting from, from his church at Saddleback, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So there's, uh, the, there's much to be said about that topic, but the less we compare ourselves to uh, the gigantic media teams and resources that exist out there, uh, the more we can truly convene communities in digital spaces. Okay. So kind of as we um, wrap things up here is, where do you see the hybrid church digital ministry going in the next few years? Um, I think, we always talk about the and, and you know the pandemic has really changed a lot of things. Um, where do you see us as a church heading when it comes to engaging people um, via social media, via the website, um, and all the aspects of social ministry, of digital ministry? So the the first thing that comes to mind is really just how our digital experience of worship specifically will be the safe entryway into the life of a, of a church community. It's where people will come first to, to learn about what we're all about and the hospitality and the inclusive inclusivity that they experience there will determine whether or not they take the next step of uh, setting foot in the doorway of, of a physical building at, at some point. Uh, the second theme is integration. So 
you know, a preacher preaches a 15 minute sermon on Sunday, uh, the ideas, uh, and the proclamations and the messages from that sermon will not just end when the sermon ends, but they'll be supported through content that nourishes and enriches the community through practices of, of scripture and prayer and other practices, uh, on Monday through, through, through Saturday. And, you know, third, uh, Digital will be used to keep the conversation going after the coffee hour ends. So mm-hmm. it used to be that uh, I would shake hands with my friends and uh, uh, say, you know, see you next week. And uh, I wouldn't see them until the next coffee hour. Uh, my hope is that in the hybrid church, I might have some way of of staying in contact with them uh, throughout the rest of the week, whatever, whatever that might be. This, however, is not a movement into forms of ministry that exist entirely in the metaverse. Uh, we're not going to be a, a church that is entirely online. And I think we should be grateful for that. So as, as we look ahead 10 to 15 years, uh, we'll, we'll continue to find what the right balance is between online and face-to-face uh, reflecting the purpose, the mission and vision that's, that's gathered us in as a, as a church community in the first place, that's what we'll seek to discover. There is actually one more question I have, and that's, I think, the importance of what I've heard more and more is about um, sometimes digital Sabbath, of maybe spending time away. You brought this up a little bit earlier. How important do you think that is for people um, to take time away or um, to use media that may may be more contemplative or or more prayerful or, or, you know, in that way? Well, I think the practice of uh, Sabbath particular is essential, whether it's an hour or whether it's an entire day of the week. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the pace of digital technology is exhausting, and it moves us into a constant state of of, uh, kind of pretend multitasking. I use the word pretend because these studies have shown us that you really can't multitask. You can just switch from one task to the next very quickly. So having uh, an hour or two or eight or 24 where you can turn all of that off it's just such a helpful practice, not just for your spiritual health, but for your mental health and in your total health. Uh, I, I wish I could do the 24 hours a week thing. Right now, I'm trying to get to the point where I don't turn my phone on until worship's over on Sunday morning. And so, so that's, been, that's been useful for me personally. Uh, the, the, the idea that uh, practices are often uh, supported through digital tools is in some ways a contradiction. Uh, I've been a longtime uh, user of the Calm app. It's a Headspace is another one. Insights Timer is another one. Uh, you know, using an app on your phone uh, for contemplation, uh, using the Luther Seminary God Pause devotional. Uh, and to some extent, it's great that these tools exist. It's also a bit funny that the thing I use to disconnect from the digital world in some ways drives me deeper into the digital world. Uh, I guess these are just contradictions that are part of living through the digital age. Yeah, it is. But, you know, sometimes contradictions can help us to grow. And um, I don't know, it's just the weirdness, weirdness of life. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. is. So um, when does your next book come out? Uh, so the, the, the Holy and the Hybrid Navigating the Church's Digital Reformation is available from Fortress Press starting in September. And I'd love to hear what anyone who picks up a copy uh, ha- has to say about it. Feel free to uh, send me an email, uh, post a review. I, I'd love to be in conversation with anyone who picks up the book. And if someone wants to, of course, engage you online, where can they find you? Uh, mostly through my website, www.ryanpanzer.com. I have been on Twitter every now and then, but uh, I'm just not sure where Twitter is headed these days. So uh, come <laughs> find me on my website. And we can connect that way. Okay. Well, thank you, Ryan. This has been really uh, an engaging conversation. I think it's been important um, for a lot of people, uh, both uh, clergy and laity, as we try to see where the church is headed as we kind of use this this tool of digital ministry to further the gospel. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Dennis, and blessings to you and your ministry as well. All right. Take care.
Well, I want to thank you for listening. And I also want to thank Ryan for taking the time to talk to me. I hope that you will consider supporting this podcast uh, by making a donation. Um, Anything that you give helps to cover some of the costs associated with the podcast. And it allows me to continue to produce content that is worth a listen. I'm hoping at some point to maybe do some type of thing where it's more kind of here are some special content for people who want to donate and all that. That's still in the early stages. But if you do want to leave a tip now, um, there is a link in the show's description. Um, And again, feel free to leave whatever you would like. Or don't leave anything. But um, if you like what you hear, please leave, um, please consider leaving a small donation. Well, that is it for this episode of En Route, the podcast that is at the intersection of church and Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care. Godspeed. <laughs>